This is the Ellensburg Angler Podcast. Quote in. Quote in. <laughs> Stud on the squalor, baby. Oh, that was a big fish, dude. Woo! This is a six-pound fish, dude. I was like, oh, yeah, yep. At all costs, do not drink the water. <laughs> I was sitting in a ball in my boat with my hands in my armpits trying to stay warm. When yeah. I get hangry, yeah, fishing's done. done. What's going on, Kyle? What's going on, Geegan? How's it going, man? Going good, man. Just uh, trying to stay busy. Yeah. I think we started the last podcast just like that. I think we did. I think we did. I think we said the exact same things. Yeah. Well, we're starting this one the exact same way. Exact same way. Welcome, everybody, to the Ellensburg Angler Podcast. This is another episode, episode number three. Yep, number three. And today we're going to be talking about the Weekend Warrior. And what you need gear-wise, what you be prepared for when you come over and fish the Yakima River. Yeah, we're going to give you guys some insights on how to uh, purchase gear if you got a tight budget or if you have all the money in the world to spend. Um, and if a lot of our clientele comes from the west side of the mountains, so the west side of the Cascades. So we're going to help the people that grind out 40-hour work week and only have two days to fish. So we want to help you guys with some tips that can help you avoid having a bad weekend and also help you have the best weekend for the time spent on the east side of the mountains for sure and uh real quick too we are going to answer some questions at the end of the podcast we are going to ask each other a question at the end of the podcast and we want to make sure that you guys know uh, we are now on several different platforms including apple podcasts and that's going to be a great platform for you to leave us a review and a rating. Let us know how we're doing. Maybe even ask us a question. So if you can, go give us some love on Apple Podcasts. Yeah, we would really appreciate it. We saw a couple of people left some reviews. So if you guys have some extra time and would like to leave us a review, it uh, helps that big time. Gives us a little bit of feedback on what we're doing. And yeah, we'd really appreciate it. All right, Keegan, let's dive into the episode. All right, sounds good. So what we're starting with now is we're going to go over... Kyle and I's favorite go-to gears from head to toe. So, or go-to gear from head to toe. So we're going to start with hats. All right, Kyle, what is your go-to hat? I think probably 99.9% of the time, you're going to see me rocking some kind of trucker hat. I like uh, lighter colored hats when I'm on the water because a black or darker colored hat is going to suck in all that heat. and Your head's going to get really hot. And it's going to make it just a little more uncomfortable in the water. So I'm probably going to be rocking some kind of trucker hat, some lighter color. That way it has a little bit of breathability in the back. It doesn't absorb that heat. I want something with a bill so that when I am on the water, looking at the water, I've got something to cut some of that glare, some of the sunshine on my face. That's going to help me not get completely burnt. And it's going to help me be able to see uh, a little bit better. If you have a darker color on the bottom side of your bill, it's going to help cut that glare a little bit as well. Oh, yeah, definitely. And it'll also help you have a good, good summertime guide tan. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the classic sunglasses and forehead or, or sunglass area and forehead area are super white. And then your cheeks, mouth area is super tan. <laughs> yeah. I'll see if I can find a, a picture of our guide and owner, Todd. <laughs> and throw it up on the blog because Todd probably gets the gnarliest guide time than anybody you've ever seen. Oh, yeah, definitely. And it doesn't help the bottom of our boats are white. 
or most of us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> just get reflection off the water, reflection off the bottom of the boat, and uh, it makes you have a pretty funny face by the end of the summer. Yeah. I would have to agree, um, at least for summertime with hats. I know that I think it's the Richardson 112. I think that's the hat that most companies use when they sell their hats or something similar to it. So, yeah, it's for hats. So, I mean, well, also wintertime, I'm always just rocking like a beanie. Sometimes I put a beanie on top of a hat, but I mean, that's yeah, pretty beanie. standard. Yeah, beanie's going to help, especially if it's cold. Cut some of that uh, heat lost from your head because you lose a lot of heat from your head. It's going to keep your ears nice and warm because they're appendages sticking out. You're going to catch some of that wind. So that's definitely going to help you stay a little bit warmer. Cool. I know this is a question I get a lot too when I'm guiding this or people want to check out what sunglasses I'm wearing. I know there's a lot of people have a lot of biases or bias towards a certain sunglass, sunglasses, pair of sunglasses that they use. But what sunglasses do you wear, Cal? I'm rocking a pair of Costas or Costas. I would prefer to say that. I can't remember what model. I think it's like a black fin, uh, something rather polarized, of course. And they, they're a pair that I invested in. Uh, they definitely weren't the cheapest pair. And I wanted something that fit my face. I have, I'm really particular about my sunglasses personally. I wanted a pair that would suck around my eyes and really block out any sunlight from coming in, whether it's like getting underneath the frame or around the frame. I want something that's tight to my face. Uh, they have like a, the outside looks blue, but you're actually looking through like an orange tint. They're polarized. Uh, and then that's what I'm rocking right now. So I really like, but you can, and I did, I got away with, uh, Walmart, Weimart sunglasses, Fairmire sunglasses, and they work just as good. They're a little bit cheaper, maybe not quite as durable, but they're still gonna work for you. That's that's what I rock for a long time, and I still rock some of those sunglasses when I'm fishing or backup pairs, or I'm not worried about my my is getting beat up. You got those at OGR last year, didn't you? At Orvis Guide Rendezvous. I did, yeah, yeah. The the Costa or Costa guys were there. They had a booth, and we actually saw them. Alex and I saw them the night before because we went and fished, walking away fished part of the bitter uh, the, the Bitterroot River. Oh yeah, and they were pulling out. They had floated uh, a section of the Bitterroot. We talked to them, and then we saw them like two days later at OGR. So it was pretty cool. Yeah, they have a super cool forerunner that they drove around the country that year. Yeah, they drove all the way from Florida to OGR from Montana. Yeah, you can't miss that paint job. <laughs> yeah that was that was a pretty sweet that was a pretty sweet forerunner yeah i think you have the uh the black fin is that what it is the, or the permit um no. that's the style of frame that you have i think i have the black fin. the yeah. black fin yeah you're I'm, glad, I'm looking at the website right now you have the glasses here tan and green right yeah tan and green and yeah it looks like they're retailing for like around 250 bucks so i mean it's a it's an investment but as a lot of fishermen know that if you have good sunglasses, it helps your day out a lot. So, so a lot exactly. of people, it's it's a good investment. I rocked Costas or Costas for a while. Um, I the only thing with me that I didn't like about them, it's just my personal preference. I'm not a big fan of like a bigger frame. I like the little bit lower profile glasses. When I first started guiding, I wore a lot of like the twenty dollars or the fifteen dollars cheapos from Fred Meyer that only had a frame on the upper half of the lenses, like not the under underside, just because I didn't like that. But now I have a full frame sunglasses. I wear SunCloud polarized polarized sunglasses. You can get them online or your local fly shop. I think they're a little bit more con- better for people that have a budget. But they're I think they retail for about fifty bucks. 
Um, and I, my personal pair is the SunCloud Mayor, M-A-Y-O-R. Um, they're like a medium fit sunglass, but yeah, I really like mine. And I've, they've, I've had mine for about a year and they work, uh, they work great. Yeah. And an important thing too, with your sunglasses is especially if you're going to be putting any sort of money into them, you might as well spend a little bit more and buy some kind of chums or some kind of retainer for your glasses. Cause I personally have lost several pairs to the river, to the lake. Cause I'm bending over the side of the boat, hopping in or out of the boat. And all of a sudden my sunglasses have fallen off my face or off my hat <laughs> or off my body into the water. And there goes 50 to $250 worth of sunglasses. Yeah. Not uh, not fun. The chums are, I think the cheapest I've seen them is like six bucks six to eight bucks maybe somewhere yeah there. that's they're they're pretty cheap you might as well make that six to ten dollar investment and buy a pair of chums some kind of retainer that will keep that on your body yeah for sure i think the company also has gotten a lot of reviews that people don't like the bulkiness of the old nylon i don't know if it's nylon but or like cloth chums so they've made like low profile chums so like wires so if you, you don't have more chums because they're too big are too bulky look into maybe investing in some smaller low profile chums that, that'll help you out all right Kyle, what about buff and maybe explain what a buff is because some people might not know so a buff is essentially a neck gaiter and a neck gaiter is like a, a cylindrical piece of cloth and you've got a hole on both ends. You pull it over your, over your head, and it sits on your neck. And you can use it either to protect your neck from the sun. You can pull it up to protect your face over your ears. It's essentially something you can cover most of your face and ears and neck and protect it from the sun, from the elements. Helps you get, keep from getting a sunburn. Helps you from windburn. Keeps your face warm in the winter. Uh, we all like to rock buffs. Not only does it protect you from the elements, it's also kind of the cool thing to wear mm-hmm. when you're fly fishing. Yeah, uh, I always, I always wear mine around my neck. If I don't, if I'm not actually using it, I just kind of it's part of my wardrobe. Like I feel complete. I feel more confident when I'm wearing my buff. You can buy them from the actual buff brand, or you can buy any style of neck gaiter, uh, and it's really all you're doing is you're protecting your face from the sun and you're keeping your face warm when it's cold. Yep, there's a bunch of different designs you can get. So if you want a flashier one with a fish logo on it, or I know Orvis sells one a few that different, a few different styles that have the Orvis logo on the side. I think they're relatively cheap. I, I would guess like twenty five bucks maybe. Yeah, it depends on like what style of gator or what kind of design you can get them. I've bought neck gators at Walmart for like six bucks, or you can buy really nice ones with cool designs for twenty five thirty bucks. Yeah, I think pretty much every. Any place is going to have them. Like a sports and warehouse will probably have them. Um, I know there's a bunch of online places that have them. Any fly shop probably is going to have a few hanging on the wall. So there's a lot of places you can get them. But the reason we're that buff, too, is it's just it's healthier for you. There's been a lot of guides that get cancer on the back of their neck because they just sit in a boat all day. <laughs> so having that buff is good to prevent those things from happening. Yeah, skin cancer is a big deal when you're outside in the sun every single day. Yep, definitely. All right, so let's move on to the lanyard. So we like to keep our tools really handy. I know when I'm on the boat or when I'm walking wading, 
if we uh, hook a fish and I net the fish, somebody nets the fish, and we need to handle that fish quickly to get them out of the net, whether we're trying to avoid running into a log or a rock or something in the water, or we just want to get that fish swimming free as quickly as we can. I want to have all my tools around me. I don't want to net the fish on one side of the boat and realize my forceps are five feet away on the other side of the boat. And that's just wasting time and energy to go to get that. So I like to carry all my tools around my neck. I like to uh, wear a fly vines lanyard. They use recycled fly lines. And I just like to wear it. It's really low profile, wear it around my neck, and I can attach all my tools I need, clippers, hemostats, uh, my whistle, and everything just keeps it right there so that when I need it at that precise moment, it's boom, right here in my chest, right at my arm level. I can grab it, take my hemostats out, unhook the fish, get it back in the water, and we can keep going on our day. Just keeps everything nice and close. That way I'm not digging through my pack or having to dig through my boat compartments if I need any tools. Yep, and that's, for us in the boat, that's kind of the the base of what we have on our, the essentials on our lanyard. I mean, what Kyle said with forceps, whistle, pair of nippers, that's all I have on mine. Some people will throw uh, some tippets on it or some tippet spools on their fly line so it's nice and close to be ever wade fishing, you know, in waist deep water or you need quick access to tip it. So I know some people throw that on there too, but yeah, the lanyard helps out a lot, helps you from getting more frustrated and uh, stress situations. And it also, it's just good for fish too. If your lanyard, if your lanyard is close to you or on around your neck or your forceps are close to you, you can use them quickly um, in situations where maybe the fish hook swallowed a hook and, or you haven't hooked well, it allows you to unhook the hook and get them released. So, yeah, and you can buy there's different types of lanyards. You can I we like fly vines are pretty low profile, but you can buy larger ones that you can hang fly boxes off of and tippet spools and yeah floatants. Uh, personally I, I don't like that because I don't like to have that kind of uh, stuff around my neck, but it's all all personal preference. Yeah, and they sell like dog collars and um keychains and like a bunch of cool stuff. But yeah, that's a pretty neat company. Yeah, and like I said it's all recycled fly lines, so you can send your fly lines in once you're done with them and instead of throwing them out, they can put them to use somewhere else. Yeah. They're a, uh, they're a cool company. All right, Kyle, let's talk about some shirts for summertime fishing recommendations and maybe some brands and prices and stuff. I like to rock some kind of breathable shirt in the summertime because we're going to be rowing or you're going to be walking around and you're going to get hot and sweaty. You don't want to be wearing cotton because cotton will just soak up that water and then keep it close to your body and it'll actually suck your body heat out, make you colder, and you'll never dry out. So I like to have some kind of polyester, some kind of quick dry performance fabric. And I like to wear like a long sleeve so I can cover up my arms from the sun so I don't get sunburned, don't get sun cancer. And I like to wear a lighter color because again, I don't want to absorb too much heat. So I'll wear something uh, like an Orvis long sleeve performance tee, uh, a sun hoodie in the same material that I can just throw that light hoodie over my head and neck, cover my back of my neck from the sun. A lot of outdoor companies will sell their performance tees and lighter colors specifically made for summertime when you want to be covered, but you don't want to be hot and you don't want to be soaking wet. Yeah, it sounds funny that we wear long sleeves and it's 100 degrees outside, but it, it actually is, I, I like wearing them. 
you can dunk them in the water if you need to, but it keeps keeps you protecting the sun, and that's the most important part. That's the reason why we wear them. Uh, helps out a lot. I know that my go-to shirt for the summertime is the Orvis Dry Release hoodies. I wear those quite a bit. And being Orvis endorsed, we uh, we use those quite a bit. Yeah, I really like my hoodie. I'm, I mean, honestly, I'll wear my hoodie around when I'm not on the water. I just like the way they look, the way they feel. They're not necessarily an extra sweatshirt, but they are a, next, a good layer to throw over a t-shirt or a long sleeve shirt and just wear them around. It's kind of nice to nice and comfortable. Yeah, I'd rather wear that than a cotton t-shirt on a hot summer day. Yeah, and sometimes what I'll, I'll kind of cheat uh, underneath my sun hoodie because I don't necessarily want to wear just my hoodie. I'll throw on like a, a light tank top or a lot, mm-hmm. uh, right underneath and then put the sun hoodie over that so okay i didn't know you did thing yeah just wear like a little tank top underneath so i'm not just straight on the sun hoodie okay nice i think this is a good point to you to touch on to when you're out and about you do want to make sure you have those extra layers you want to make sure you have your ex- an extra sweatshirt extra rain jacket maybe some rain pants because we're going to talk we talk about pretty much every episode but the weather can change super quick and you could need some kind of rain jacket or some kind of extra layer to keep warm and keep dry so just make sure you have those as well yeah we touched on that in the last episode where it's like be prepared for bad weather um even if it is a hot summer day you never know if a storm will roll in and get you all cold so you want to make sure you're prepared and uh have plenty of gear with you there was a one day two years ago i was out fishing with my friend jesse and we put on an um tandem oh i remember this day yeah, so I, I believe I met Jesse Adam Tanum, dumped my boat off, perfect summer day, drove downstream, I can't remember where we were going to take out, dropped the boat off, or sorry, the trailer, rolled back up, got in the boat, perfect, nice day, we get tied up, and as soon as we push off from the launch, we see these thunder clouds, just like, like a wall of clouds moving in, and we're like, oh crap, so we keep start fishing. We do pretty good. The fish were eating right before the storm hit, but we get maybe 20 minutes past the launch and boom, we get smashed by the storm. Thunder, lightning. I, I'm not kidding. It was like 50 mile an hour winds. I was literally, my boat was being pushed up river and it was lightning striking the, the uh, sides of the river next to us, torrential downpour. I was soaked. Jesse didn't have a rain jacket, so he was soaked. <laughs> you didn't have a raincoat? He did not have a raincoat. Oh, he was That's holding cool. up his just his sweatshirt, trying to cover as much as he could. It, we pulled over, and we sat for maybe 45 minutes, and it was just super gnarly. Super, it, really similar to what you and I experienced on the Bighorn last year, Keegan. Wow. Just getting hit by a random storm, and it lasted for an hour, and then it was gone. But wow. we, we had both been wishing we were a little more prepared. Things happen. Yeah. Just a plug here. I would just carry raincoats in your boat. <laughs> yeah, just always carry raincoats. Yeah. And it's hard to in the canyon because the walls are so high. So weather can hit you coming. pretty quick if it's coming from the west or the east. It'll hit you. Yeah. All right. Speaking of being prepared and waterproof gear, let's talk about some waders. What uh, what waders do you have, Kyle, for guiding? Right now, I'm rocking the Reddington. I think they're called the HDZ. So they're, they're zip waders. They're a chest wader. They're a breathable, waterproof wader. We have felt soles, and I can put a pair of wading boots over those. I really like them. I like the zips. For that, I was rocking 
just regular pullover waders and they work really nice, but I don't think I'm ever going to go back to just regular pull on waders. I really like the zips. They're super comfy. Uh, I feel like I can adjust the layers a little better with that. So if I'm wearing bulky layers on top and if you have to use the bathroom, they're a little nicer to just zip down my waders and do my business as opposed to having to peel everything off and then use the bathroom. That's what I'm rocking for my fishing waders. Uh, sometimes when it gets really cold, I'll actually rock my duck hunting waders, my neoprenes, just because I don't want to freeze in that really thick boot and insulation will keep me warm. But yeah, rocking the Reddington HDZs. This is my third guide season on those. So there's a couple spots where they got a little bit of a leak. I'll probably be switching over later this year to something new i'm looking right now at some orvis waders they're pro waders and i'm looking at like the sims g4 zips kind of looking for a good strong dependable waiter i got you so with your waders what kind of maintenance or care do you like how do you wash them what's what care do you take to them I'm probably not the right person to ask that question, Keegan. Well, I'm asking for a reason. So just answer, answer truthfully because I know how you wash them. Uh, I don't. <laughs> yep. yep. That's the answer I wanted. Yeah, I don't. I think I've washed my waders twice in three years. I know I should be washing them more often, but I, I just don't. I put them on when I get to the shop, wear them all day, and I take them off when I get home and I hang them on the back of the bathroom door and they dry out. And then I do the same thing the next day. I don't really wash them. They're kind of smelly, but they still work. If I washed them to get a little better care of them, they probably wouldn't have the leaks they do. Mm -hmm. Just because they do get a little bit of sand worn into them or inside. So if you dumped them out or washed them a little more frequently, they probably last you a little bit longer. I got you. Another thing, too, if you see my waders, I've got a lot of duct tape and you do have a lot of duct tape on your waders (laughs) yeah a lot of my a lot of the pockets have just worn out in the zippers so i just uh just uh aqua seal and duct tape my waders shut and they still work yeah but you do a lot of guide days and for three years of guiding without having to do like a major repair to them is pretty cool so for someone as a, a weekend warrior perspective of going out and using them for a weekend it's uh it's a good perspective for people that don't go out as much as we do to see how little we care for them <laughs> yeah, and how much time we put, we, we spend in them. But yeah, so that's the Sonic Pro HDZ waiter from Reddington, right? Yes. Okay. I don't know. The last couple of times I've checked, they're out of stock. So I don't know if they've put those back in stock. Mm-hmm. Another thing too, it's again, another investment, but we are spending a lot of time in them. Uh, when I was younger, I was buying $50, $60 pairs of waders from Bymart Cabela's, and they worked. I wasn't on the water near as much as I am now, and I would only be able to get maybe a season out of a pair of those cheaper waders just because they weren't as durable. They would get a tear, they would start leaking, and I'd have to buy another pair. So it's another one of those things, if you can get away with that financial hit, you can buy a little better waiter they'll last you a little bit longer but you can you can definitely get away with just a little bit cheaper waiter yep and just so everyone knows that the sonic waiters just because we're reviewing some gear the sonic pro hdz waiters on reddington's website are they are out of stock as of right now but they do retail 500 dollars. 
So you are putting a little bit of money down on them. But like Kyle said, you don't want to buy cheap waders, really. If you're really spending time on the water, and that's the reason why we're doing this podcast, we want to make sure you guys don't make mistakes that can ruin your weekend. If you tear really cheap waders, you're not going to have a very fun weekend, especially if it's March or December. <laughs> uh, I, you want I think, warm. yeah, sorry. I think that out of anything that could happen, breaking your rod, um, forgetting your sunglasses. I think the worst thing that you can do is buy a cheap pair of waders and have them tear. Absolutely. That's the, Absolutely. that's the one thing that's going to ruin your weekend is leaky waders. Absolutely. You're going to be cold. You're going to be miserable. You can get away. Yeah. yeah. You break a rod, maybe you can run to town, buy another one, do something there. But leaky waders will just be a pain in the butt. And it could be dangerous too. You could fill up with water. Uh, you could get sucked under and they could really be a problem. I'll be having a bad day. You could get hypothermia. Just a bad deal. Yeah, bad deal. If, let's say, Kyle, that someone, I mean, cheaper waders are going to get you out and get you fishing. Uh, oh, yeah. Like I said, that's, what, that's all I ran for a long time. Right. I know I rocked like frog tog waders for a while. I don't know. I don't have really. I don't have pricing up on frog togs right now, but I would guess it's around that, like 150 bucks for a pair of men's waders. So I mean, they'll get you on the water, but yeah, you just got to be be aware of that. If you buy those waders, maybe start investing in some higher quality waders so you guys don't get don't have a bad day <laughs> on the river. Uh, what kind of material are you rocking on those waders, Keen? I have the Gore-Tex Gore-Tex waders. Yeah, um, I wear the Sims G3 guide waders, um, the, the stocking foot style, not the, the built-in boot. And those retail like 550 bucks. So kind of in the range of where your, your waders are at. Sims does sell more expensive waders, and they do sell less expensive waders. I think their most expensive waders like 900 bucks, something like that, 850 uh, that's that's a lot. To, it's a pretty big bite. Yeah, that's a big bite. So, I mean, if you're serious and you have the money, I would buy those waders, but I think most people listening have a, maybe a tighter budget. So going with a Cabela's Caddis waiter, uh, or a frog tog waiter is not a bad deal. I know my buddy Cole, when he started fly fishing, he bought, he bought frog togs and I believe he still has them. So I, if you take care of them, I don't see the issue of, of, of ripping them, but you are taking that, you're taking a burden on when you decide to buy cheaper waders. Yes, and I'm looking at their Frog Talks website right now. They most of their pretty quality waders look like look like they're running between about a hundred and hundred and thirty to about three hundred dollars. Okay, nice. So yeah, I would consider that an economy, an economy waiter. Just, I mean, I'm sure you could buy a hundred dollar waiter somewhere, but yeah, yeah, I wouldn't go much less than a Frog Talk waiter. And those are good. Those are good waiters too. I mean, they've been. That's that company's been around for a while, and they sell like raincoats and all types yeah. of rain gear. So, yeah, I had some frog tog rain gear that I really liked, kept me really dry. So they're yeah. they're a good company. Yeah, I think I have a frog tog like um, windbreaker or a rain raincoat in my truck, an emergency one. Yeah, they make good stuff. So good price range. Just just if you buy cheap waders, just know you're going to be buying another pair in the next year or two. Okay, yeah, that's kind of what it comes down to. Yep. Let's see here. Let's talk about wading boots since we're on the wader subject. Wading boots. This is one of my my favorite pieces of gear to talk about. Oh yeah. Okay, Kyle. You're 
your waiting boots for guiding. Everything. I am currently rocking a pair of Corkers waiting boots. Uh, I'm going to look up. I can't remember the model. I'm going to look it up right now. Okay. Uh, uh, while you're doing that, I can explain my waiting boots. Okay, yeah, go ahead. Um, I, I rock the Boa Pivot waiting boot from Orvis. I have felt bottom boots. I like those boots a lot. This is my first pair of Boa, Boa style uh, boots. For those of you who don't know what Boa is, it's like a wire wire laced boot that um you don't have to use you don't have to tie at all so um your laces are always there on your boot uh the felt bottom i know people probably probably have some opinions about felt bottom especially with some states restricting it but my felt bottom boots don't leave the yakima that's the main water that i use them to fish so there isn't an issue there with the felt bottom boots because I know some people will probably have an opinion about that. So just so it's said, um, when I go to Montana, I usually take my rubber boots with with spikes or I'll have another pair of felt bottom boots. But I haven't traveled that much recently. So usually for those trips, I'll try to purchase another boot um, for that trip. Or if I absolutely have to take my felt bottom boots to another state, well, obviously, I'm not going to take you to a state that bans it, but if I have to take you to a state, I'm going to fish in, and I, that's my only option to take a boot. I'm going to take my my felt boots, but I'm going to wash them pretty thoroughly. Before and after. Before and after, yeah. The Boa Pivot wading boot on Orvis's website retails. It looks like it's on sale right now um, for like 140-ish. Pretty good deal. Yeah, it's pretty good. I think they retail usually like 200 bucks. But I've, I've seen guys, and I've actually done it myself, blow out the bottom of their boots i think personally the waiting boots are gonna aren't gonna gonna last as long as your waiters especially if you buy nice waiters so make make sure i mean you can get away with i have some buddies that have waiting boots that aren't like top-notch waiting boots but they have really nice waiters that's a always a common combination is really nice waiters and maybe not so nice waiting boots you can get away with that if it was me, I if I only had a certain amount of money to spend on waders and wading boots, I would go with a more expensive wader and then a not so expensive wading boot. I don't know. Would you agree, Cal? I would agree. Like if you have more money to spend on one thing, I would spend more money in your waders than with your boots. Yeah. I mean, yeah, and you're giving up a little bit. You're giving up maybe a little bit of support and comfort, but your waders are definitely going to outlast your boots. Yeah, I would agree. Kyle, you bring that information up. What's, uh, what's some information on your waiting boots? Yeah. So I, my last two pairs of boots kind of go on that topic in the pair of waders I have now, I'm currently on my second pair of corkers. Uh, my first pair is still usable, but they were getting pretty worn and I was rocking the shoelaces. I was rocking the, the greenback originally. And now I have upgraded to the Devil's Canyon corkers. They are a boa system. I really like that boa. I can just tighten it down, pop it off. Really easy to slide my foot in and out. Don't have to worry about tying my shoelace. Just reach down, tighten it, loosen however I need to do. And the reason I really like corkers, the reason I got turned on to them, was they are multiple shoes in one. The corkers have an interchangeable sole. They just, you can slide them in. Uh, stomp them down and hook them on the back and I can go from a felt sole to a rubber sole to a stud sole in about 10 seconds. 
So when I am going from, say, the Yakima to, say, the Madison River or the Bighorn River, I can wash my soles out and I can wash my boot out and not have to worry about uh, transferring those invasive, invasive species. And if I'm going from different water types or different applications. So say I'm on the boat, I don't want to run studs because I don't want to ruin the bottom of my boat. And I don't want to run aluminum bars because aluminum bars don't have any traction on the boat. I'll run my felt. So all I have to do is I have the one shoe, but multiple soles. And I'll just swap my soles out at the, at the fly shop. If I'm going for a walk and wade, I want my aluminum bars because they're going to really stick on the bottom really well. And then most of going to be doing is walking around. So I don't necessarily need my studs. I don't need my felts. I want to run my aluminum bars. But let's say I go to a place like Rocky Ford where I can't get in the water. I don't want to wear my felts because it's really slippery mud. I don't want to wear my aluminum bars because they don't work as well dry. So I'm going to run my rubber soles because I want traction, but since I can't get in the water. The corkers are just really versatile. You can buy multiple different types of bottoms, and I can go from boat to wading to just walking access with that shoe. They're pretty, they're just really versatile. Uh, footwear i gotcha very cool pro tip if you go on a guide trip do not wear your studs in the boat the spikes in your boots correct yeah you'll beat up your your guide's boat and that's even for people that have their own boats try to avoid wearing spikes in the boat they just beat up the bottom of the boat and i know a lot of guides including ourselves don't allow spikes in their boat yeah, it just it tears them up, scratches up the, the finishing coat on the bottom, and it's not as good for us. So if you can get some kind of – if you can get multiple shoes, you can do that. So if you're getting in and out of boats a lot, if you're traveling different watersheds. Um, but I personally like the corkers because I can basically buy three boots instead of buying just one. So. All right, Kyle. Where uh... – where are you purchasing most of your, of your gear? Kind of depends on where I am at and what I need at the time. If I really need something right away and I'm guiding a lot and I, I just need it as soon as possible, I'm going to order it online from Orbis. That's where I order most of my stuff. Some of, my, some of the stuff like Corkers, I'll have to order directly from their website. But if I can, I try to go to a fly shop. Like I try to go into Orbis Bellevue, Orbis Seattle. And I like to purchase my gear there. Uh, that way I can really see and feel and try on the gear that I have. I think that's super important to getting something that's going to be comfortable. There's a lot of times I'll order gear or try on gear, but I, maybe I don't have my waders with me. So I'm trying on boots and I'll take them home and they're too big or they're too small. Or I'll order online like, uh, I think I'm a size 11 boot, order it online, get it. It's too big. Uh, so whenever I can, I'm trying to physically go try this stuff on, on in person but if I can't get to a fly shop or I can't drive somewhere I need it right now, I'm going to have to order it online. Yeah, I would say I buy most of my gear online. Recently, the only time, the last few years, the only time that I've bought stuff in person would be from Orvis Bellevue or Orvis Seattle. Um, trying to think where else I've bought stuff. Uh, maybe Cabela's. Bought some stuff at Cabela's. Yeah, buy stuff uh, at Cabela's. It's close to my parents' house. So when I ever go to my parents' house, I always stop in Cabela's and just check it out. But yeah, besides that, I mean, we're Orvis endorsed, so we have, we use our online platforms quite a bit, and especially with Orvis being in Seattle, I mean, it's not that far away, 
but it's still a hour and a half drive. So if we can order stuff online, we can. Yeah, I like to try to time my gear purchasing whenever we do seminars over there. So I'm already going over there for the seminar. So I'll just purchase my gear when I'm there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, like Kyle's saying, that's a good good way to do it is if you have a retail store close, you can go try stuff on and actually touch the stuff you're trying to buy. Um, and a lot of stuff people are probably going to have already, like maybe maybe your hike or your backpack or something, and you have some of that performance clothing, like that breathable shirt. Mm-hmm. Maybe... Maybe you have a, a good hat that you, or, and you already have a buff. You don't necessarily have to go buy everything new for fly fishing. Your gear can move from one outdoor activity to another pretty fluidly. Yeah, definitely. I wear a lot of my, like the casting shirts you're talking about earlier, the dry release, the Orvis dry release shirts. I wear those in public all the time. It's not just when I'm guiding or when I'm fishing. Uh, they're just really comfortable to wear. Yeah. Uh, another good place that I sometimes purchase gear from is uh, sunnysports.com. Sunnysports.com? Yes, Sunny Sports. Never heard of that. They are a website and they basically sell all the outdoor brands when their products are discounted or on clearance. (laughs) Okay. So their whole website, you're buying name brands on discount. So that's why I buy uh, a lot of my gear. Like they have like North Face, Arcteryx. They have a lot of name brand clothing on their discount prices all in one spot. So you can really find a good deal on outdoor clothing oh wow do they sell like gear and stuff on there too or is it just clothing uh it's mostly just clothing okay i got you. but there's bike stuff there's trail running there's fishing there's rain gear okay it's like recreation based yeah okay cool. exactly yeah i actually just ordered a pair of like breathable zip off nylon pants for the guides oh that's cool it's awesome all right Kyle. so let's go into talking about the go-to fly rod setup, the Yakima. Let's break it down in detail. People that are maybe looking into buying a rod and a rod reel line setup set up to get them over uh, to fish in the Yakima. Um, we're going to recommend a rod that we use for our guide trips, but I know that a lot of us guides use for our fun fishing as well. And that's the clear water, the Orvis clear water fishing rod, fly rod. Um, Kyle, do you want to explain maybe the weight of the clear water rod we should use and maybe what that weight represents and why you use it for guiding? Yeah, I run the Orvis clear waters, I run the five weight and the six weight, both nine footers. But I think if you want one go-to rod for the Akama is going to be your uh, five weight clear water, nine foot. Your five weight is a good balance of backbone. So when you do hook a bigger fish, you can put that pressure on the fish and fight them a little more efficiently. It's also going to give you that backbone for when you're throwing heavier rigs, like nymph rigs, heavy streamers. You can get away with that with the five weight. But it's also uh, nice and limber and accurate. So you can toss a small dry fly, like a bluing olive or, say, a caddis fly that five weights is a really good all around rod for fighting fish and for presenting flies and the clear water is in a really good price point. What, what was that price again? Keegan, do you remember? So the Orvis, the Orvis website has the clear water, five weight, nine foot fly rod for $198. And I want to specify some people, I've had some guests order the fly rod and they think they're getting their reel as well because the picture on the website is the rod and the reel. But when you purchase the $198 fly rod, you're only 
getting the fly rod, just the fly rod and the tube. And if you go look at other prices on different websites and even on the Warbers website, like the H3 fly rod, which is pretty, pretty expensive. This rod is, I would say is their economy rod. But for me, I fish with this rod all the time. It's a great rod to fish. And when you're fishing or you're fighting fish or you're, you're fishing on the river, you kind of forget you're holding an economy rod. It is really the best bang for your buck. And if I was starting, I mean, I recommend all beginners that come to my boat or that I fish with that they get this rod. It's a great place to start. It's kind of the, the, the go-to rod for beginners, really. Yeah, it's a great deal. It's a great deal. It's got a great casting feeling. Like Tegan said, you forget that you are holding a clear water. Like it fishes really, really well for the price point and like you can say you got to be careful when you're ordering that rod if you just want the rod the 198 dollars is going to be fine but you can have the option to purchase that rod with the the uh, reel and the line set up with it and that clear water reel and the clear water line is going to be really good for that price as well yes definitely so that's what we recommend for the for the rod now for the reel it's the the partner to the rod it's the clear water large arbor reel um, you can get it on the orvis website or your Orb- local orvis store it is about i think it retails 89 dollars. what i'm looking at and then you can also buy an extra spool with it too the extra spool thing is what's cool about the extra spool is that you on one spool you can have a, a fly line like a, a dry fly line and then on the other one you can have the streamer line like we talked about in the previous episode so you can interchange it well if you can only afford the one rod or the one reel Kyle, you want to explain to people that don't understand maybe what a spool is? Like the spool opposed to the reel, what, what that means? Yeah, so the the whole reel is the, there's two parts of the reel. You have your spool and you have like the reel compartment that has your drag system. Um, when you put the both those together, that's when you get the action uh, to be able to reel that line onto your reel or pull line off. And then you can adjust how the tension of how that line pulls on or off your reel with the drag adjustment knob. Um, your spool is what's actually holding the line. And then your drag is essentially like the gears and everything in that. Yeah. When you buy an extra spool, you're buying just the part that holds the line. And like Keegan said, you can put different lines on there. So you have one drag system and the reel seat. And then you can switch the spools with different lines in and out of that and have the same kind of drag adjustment system. Yeah, and it helps out a lot, especially people that can only afford one reel. Instead of buying a whole other $100 reel, you can just buy a $50 spool. And uh, you can have a good weekend. It's just going to take a little bit longer to interchange your spools, but it gets you to save a little bit of money. Yes. And you're kind of talking about if you were to piece it together, if you were to buy the Clearwater rod with the reel and the fly line together, it's going to be $311. So I think you save a little money if you buy them all together, as opposed to if you buy them all separate. Yeah. Yep. Help out a lot. And uh, just people understand too, when you go to buy the reel, if you were to buy the reel separate, like I'll say it's a little more expensive, but when you go to choose your size for your weight of the reel, it's going to ask you for a four to six or a seven to nine. You want to match that weight of the reel to the weight of your rod. You want to try to keep that as consistent as you can. And the four to six 
you can use it for a clear water four weight or a clear water six weight. They do that so that there's less confusion uh, when trying to choose the weight of the reel. Yeah, you don't, you don't want too small of a reel and spool because then you won't be able to hold the line capacity for the size of your line because the larger weight and rod you go, you're tossing a larger fly line and you need more space on the reel and the spool to hold that fly line. So when they're saying, if you want to order a, a reel in sizes four through six, they're saying there's enough space on the spool and this reel to hold line sizes four through six. Yeah. Now I can put a nine weight fly line on that spool, but there's not going to be enough room for it. Conversely, I can put a four weight fly line on a nine weight reel and spool, but I'm going to have way too much room. So they're matching the size of the line and the size of the reel. So it's not something too bulky, but it's not something too small for the application you're using it for. Yep, definitely. So accompanying your reel and your spool, you're going to need backing and you're going to need fly line. Backing is one of those things that doesn't get talked about a lot, but is really important. So your backing is usually some kind of like nylon, there's some, some kind of like braided material that goes directly onto your spool or your reel. And that's is what your base is. So you tie that into your uh, spool. You wrap on 100, 120 yards of that, depending on the size of the backing, you get 20 or 30 pounds. And then you tie your fly line to your backing. Uh, if you were to tie just your fly line to your reel, you'd only be able to cast 90 feet and that's it. And it would slip. So it wouldn't have anything to catch on, uh, on the reel. So you, you want that backing to give you that little bit extra distance and to give you a little bit of traction on that reel. So you can't have just fly line on a reel. You can't have just backing on a reel. You have to have backing and fly line to go onto your reel. Yeah. It's a bad day. If you didn't have any backing, uh, you're going to want <laughs> a little bit of forgiveness there especially if you hook a big rock in the river and you're in a moving drift boat, <laughs> gives you a little bit of time to figure out what's going on. Yeah. There's a lot of times we'll go to our backing because like you can said, we'll get stuck on a rock and you're going downstream really fast and your line's pulling out past your backing. You want to have that little extra room to be able to tighten your line, pop it off. Uh, but also if you do hook a big fish and you only have a 90 foot fly line, that's as far as the fish can run. So if you wants to run, you have that extra backing space, or maybe you're doing a longer nymph drift down downstream below you. You can let your all of your fly line go down and, and not be stopped about ninety feet. Yep, fly lines that we would recommend would be the Clearwater fly line on the website. So you have a Clearwater rod, a reel, and a line. So those three things will get you fishing on the Yakima or anywhere. And that Clearwater fly line retails for fifty bucks. It's Orvis's least expensive fly line we use it guiding we use it for fun it's a good fly line to have um, at the end of the day your fly line is going to be it's going to get beaten up so having a fly line that is a little bit cheaper depends how you look at it you can buy a fly line that's a little bit cheaper and spend more money by getting more over the years or you can go for a little bit more expensive fly line and it might perform a little bit better might float a little bit better might have a little bit more endurance or durability but you're going to buy less of them. So it depends how you look at it. I think the other, there's another fly line we use is the Orvis, Orvis pro fly line. 
and those go for about 130 bucks a piece. I personally, personally right now, I run two of my rods with clear water setups and two of them with Orvis Pro setups. There's really no reason for that. It's just how it has played out, but I'm using both for guiding. So I use the Orvis Pro line and I also use the Orvis clear water line. You anything yeah. to add there, Kyle? No, I think that's that's good. You're either going to buy more lines over time uh, that are cheaper, or you're going to have to buy one line that might last you longer. But kind of like going back to the boots thing, your fly line is going to take a lot of beating, and so you just have to understand you're going to be buying fly lines fairly consistently. If you're fishing a lot, they're going to get beat up. Yep. You only have a certain amount of money to spend, maybe buy a – or you only have – a certain amount of money spent on the clear water setup, I would get the clear water fly rod, the reel, and then maybe do the cheaper fly line. Yeah. But if you have all the money in the world, I mean, it's not going to hurt you to go buy that Orvis Pro. Yeah. That's a really good line from Orvis too. I mean, when did they come out with that? I know they introduced it to us at the Orvis Guide Rendezvous. Yeah, I think that's when they released it. it was around that time, maybe a little afterwards. But I, I personally really like the Pro line. I have the Power Taper Orvis Pro. Uh, on the smooth, I really like that. You have the smooth one. Yeah, I have the smooth. I think this is where you and I differ a little bit because I have the the textured one. Let's see. I used to like the textured. I had a textured that I ran. I can't remember what brand it was previous on one of my four weights, and I liked it. But when I got the Orvis Pro line, I liked the smooth over the textured. Okay. Yeah. So just kind of the smooth. The smooth line is. It basically exactly as it sounds. It's the line is smoother. It's more one, one dimension. Whereas the textured line has a little bit, these little tiny microscopic cuts in it. It's like a golf ball. It's like a golf ball. Yeah. So when it goes through your fly rod, it makes a little bit of noise easier to grab, but some people don't like it just because it is, it does make that noise. I mean, for you, Kyle, what, what are the reasons why you wouldn't run the textured as opposed to the smooth fly line? Honestly, I think the re- the reason I switched was whenever I tried to, like, say, set the hook or I ran the line through my finger too fast, it would cut my finger since it was textured. Okay. Um, I didn't mind the sound. But personally, I just – I like the smoother line. When I have a power taper, so it's like a weight-forward fl- fly line with a taper in the front, but the power taper is, like, an extra-weighted forward, so it's a lot heavier. And when I'm really bombing a cast out there, when I want to be really accurate, I want to have a smooth line sliding through my guides. I just felt like I wasn't getting the right line speed and the right accuracy with the divoted or with the uh, textured line as I was when I was throwing the smooth power tapered pro. Okay. I got you. And I also, I also felt like that the smoother line was helping me kind of roll my line over. It wasn't as much surface area. I could, move my line a little bit more on the water throwing men's in and do stuff like that okay so really i think it all just comes down to personal preference um if you have the money just buy both put one on one spool and one on the other and see what you like and you have two fly lines (laughs) you can use one can be your back if need be kyle let's kind of go into your personalized or your preference on packs backpacks uh, what you use for wade fishing and maybe if you guide with it and when you do guide with it. So I run a Orvis guide sling pack. I used to run vests all the time. I used to run backpacks. 
Now I got to the sling pack. I like the sling pack. It's kind of the best of both worlds. When I was wearing a vest, I would feel really heavy. Everything would be just kind of bulky around me, uncomfortable, but I had quick access to things. When I was wearing a backpack, it was out of the way. But if I wanted to access my gear, I'd have to take my pack off and then put it back on. I feel like my sling pack is pretty nice. Uh, I have everything pretty handy. All I got to do is flip my guide sling around on my body, access it, but then I can put it out of the way when I don't need it. And I can throw in, I personally run like big, like the Plano storage tackle boxes, like the big, long, flat ones you might use for terminal gear. Yeah, I use the same ones. Yeah, and I can throw like three or four of those in my guide sling. I got a lot of room. And it's got several different pockets, so I can throw extra liters, extra tippets. I can throw my thermometer, my hook file, my hand warmers. I, and then I've got pockets for floating. I got spots, but my my nippers and tweezers and zingers. And I got like little magnetic pockets. I just like that sling bag because it's small, compact. I can get it out of the way, but it's also super accessible like a, a vest would be. Yeah, I would agree. That was that was that's the biggest reason why I, I, I have the Orvis Link Pack. I have the same one Kyle does. They sell so just to just to explain, they have the smaller sling pack and then they have the larger sling pack. The smaller sling pack is they're both called the Safe Passage Sling Pack. The smaller one is eighty nine dollars and the Safe Passage Guide Sling, which is the bigger one that Kyle and I run, it fits those bigger profile fly boxes and gear and you can put an extra coat in there if you need to and they're great for weight fishing and those run 129 dollars they also orvis came out with the basically the version that kyle and i have the orvis safe passage guide sling they came out with a waterproof version i believe the inside of it is a little bit smaller but it's the same outside profile same kind of look and it had that one runs 230 it's 230 bucks for that one so if you really are scared about your stuff getting wet that's a good way to do it is to get the orvis waterproof sling but i know like for kyle and i we've talked about the storms we've been through and stuff our our gear has survived in a non-waterproof bag so if you're really worried about waterproof stuff you can put or waterproofing your your gear you can put your essentials in plastic bags in your normal safe passage guide sling but yes. Yeah. I mean, it, you just gotta know it's water resistant, but it's gonna your stuff is gonna get wet, uh, but it's gonna survive. If you need like your electronics and stuff, like if I carry my DSLR, I'm gonna throw that in just like a regular water type bag. Yeah. Or, or or I'm not gonna take it out if I'm just carrying my sling. I'm just not gonna take it because I don't want to chance it. Yeah. But you're right too, Kyle. I mean, just convenience of if you're wade fishing in deeper water or you don't have the the time to walk back to the bank you can just swing the sling pack around your around your back and you have your gear right there in front of you at your chest level so it's very convenient that's that's why i have it yes so that was basically our gear breakdown for the weekend warrior talking about your different types of gear you, you might need different types of clothing you might need and really trying to tailor it to somebody who maybe wants to just get into fly fishing or maybe doesn't have the money to spend on super, super expensive gear, just wants to get like that economy rod, the economy waiter, and just coming out here, hitting the river every weekend, maybe every other weekend, spend a little bit of time. You're not doing it all the time. 
we might touch on this topic a little bit more in the future as we talk about weekend warrior access destinations in Ellensburg and Kittitas and different access points. But we'll save that for another episode, and we're going to answer a few of our listener questions. Again, these are questions people send to us via social media. You can send it to our Facebook, our Instagram accounts, and uh, even submit it to us via email on our website, or you can leave us questions in the review section on iTunes. But we're going to go ahead and dive into our first question today from at Big Hoss Outdoors. This is a friend of Keegan and I's, Keaton, and he asked us, where are your dream flight fishing destinations and why? Keegan, what are your freshwater and saltwater destinations? All right. Freshwater, I'm going to have to go with Argentina. Fishing uh, Patagonia to be pretty sweet. I, uh, I wanted to go there for a while, and I've watched so many YouTube videos that it's, I have to do it. <laughs> What's in Patagonia? What's there that you want to catch? Big, big trout. That's all it is. Big, big trout. That was good to me, man. Yeah, I feel like you can't. In the videos, at least from the videos I'm watching, you can't catch anything that's less than like 20 inches. I'm sure. I'm sure if I went there, I'm sure I catch something like 10 inches. Yeah, <laughs> you probably would. <laughs> the saltwater fly fishing destination was a hard one for me. I have a lot of places that I really want to go to, but there's this Yeti video called Cosmo, the Cosmos, and it really makes me want to go fish for GTS. I could go on that trip and not catch a GT, and I think I would have the time of my life. Just going somewhere that's so different from where we grew up and just fishing for a fish that we have we know nothing about would be a really cool experience. But yeah, the Cosmolito, Seychelles, that area, I would uh, I would dig going on a trip like that. All right, Kyle, what about, what about you? Freshwater and saltwater destinations? Freshwater. Uh, I want to fish for a Taman in Mongolia. Taman are pretty massive and it looks like just the trip going to Mongolia, the, the multiple days on the river floating and camping, just the journey getting there and getting home. I think that would be worth it. And then having the opportunity to catch these giant trout essentially are, I think that'd be super sweet. These things are super massive. Like, I've heard of people, like, when they do fish counts for these things in Mongolia, they literally use drones and fly them over the river. And these fish are so big, they can just count them because they can see them from the drone point of view. <laughs> That's crazy. That's how they count elk in North America. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> wow. So I, I really want to go do that. Wow, man. That's cool. Aren't they, like, the oldest freshwater fish or something like that? Uh, are, they, are, they technically, are they technically a trout? I think they're like a trout or a, some kind of trout species. I don't know okay. exactly. I'd have to do more research, but Taman would be pretty sweet. I'd have to do more research on that. I've always always been curious about that. Yeah, and there, I, I feel like that's one of the fisheries you don't really hear about much. Like There are some conservation groups trying to protect them as a species in Mongolia, and you don't really hear much about them, so I'd like to go learn more about it and actually do it. Yeah, that'd be cool. Just going on the experience, being somewhere you, you've never you've never been before would be pretty cool yeah going to mongolia floating and sand and yurts and it looks pretty fun yeah don't they use like super skinny canoes for fishing i think they use like big rafts oh they do they do fish out of rafts i think they fish out of rafts. it looks like it's a quite a bit of white water like it's like 
like class three and four rapids, like pretty big. Okay, because I know they have the on the F3T videos, the fly fishing film tour they do every year. There's uh-huh. a couple of videos of them fishing retainment and the drone, the super cool drone slow mo f- videos have people in like really small canoes. Hmm. Uh, they're not fishing from them, but you know, because they you can wade fish retainment there too. Yeah. All right, Cal. What about your saltwater destination? I'm a lot like Keegan. I want to fish the Seychelles for GT because those GT are massive. And uh, I think the first thing that got me on a GT is I watched a video where somebody took a flip-flop and oh yeah, <laughs> tied a hook on it and tied some feathers and cast it out. And they literally had a fish eat a black flip-flop thinking it was a bird. And I always thought, man, if I can get a fish to eat something, a fly that is imitating a bird, um, that's something I want to catch because they are massive and they hit hard. And I hear they're fairly difficult to catch. So, Yeah, just a challenge in itself. I think if we went over there and got inter- we got to interact with one fish, I think I'd call that a success. Oh, yeah. And just like you're totally new to it. You have no – I mean, you know how to cast fly rod, but it's way different than anything you've ever done. Yes. I'd be nervous for it, to be honest with you. <laughs> I hear you need, like, multiple rods and multiple fly lines because those yeah. things will break your rods, break your fly lines, burn out your reels. I think that will be pretty wow. sweet. That'd be a pretty good test to uh, us as anglers, I think. Yeah. Probably some frustration and some failures, but it'd be so worth it. Yes. Uh, did, didn't you look it up earlier, how much that trip cost? Did you say it was, like, ten grand per person? Yeah, like depends what outfitter you go with, but yeah, it depends on outfitter. But the outfitter I was looking at, the cheapest package is ten thousand per person. Wow! So wow. someday that's, that's guaranteed caught fish, right? That's how it works on guy trips. Yeah, isn't that how every guy trip goes? <laughs> yeah, guaranteed. Yeah, yeah. Not really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're totally joking. For people that don't understand, we're we're being sarcastic. <laughs> <laughs> All right, um, next question is from Stan VE or at Stan VE 17. And he asked, what app is the podcast on and what app do I need to get? So the podcast, our base platform is anchor. So you can find us on the anchor app or on anchor, the website. Uh, We're also on Spotify. We're on Apple podcasts, Google podcast, breaker pocket casts and radio public. The one of the best spots to listen to us at and interact with us is on Apple Podcasts because you can leave us a review and a rating on there. Uh, so that's probably the best platform. But again, Anchor and Spotify, those are really great as well. Yeah. And yeah. if you already have some of these apps, don't even worry about it. download something new. Yep. And they have a if you have an iPhone or an iPad or a Mac, you have the podcast, the Apple Podcast app. So you literally have to just open it and search Ellensburg Angler Podcast and you'll get right to it. Yes. Um, I know that my family members that are starting to listen, that's what I'm taking them to because they all have iPhones. They don't have to pay anything. I know with Spotify, you have to pay a little bit. Um, I think don't you, you can spot you can access Spotify for free, but you have to still be in ads. Like it's not the premium. You, you have to pay to have premium, which means no ads during while you're listening to music and podcasts, right? Is that how it works? Correct. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have a Spotify premium and I get all my podcasts and music without ads. Okay, cool. Yeah, if you if you have any troubles accessing the podcast, just make sure you reach out, and we'll help you uh, help you the best we can to get listening. Yes, and we'll link some of these to our to our show notes on our website. Cool, very cool. All right, so it's our last question from the day for the day from a viewer um, or from a listener. 
question is from S A G O D Frey six. I think it's I think it's at S A Godfrey six. Not or, exactly oh, sure. Like saltwater fishing god. No, I I think their name's Godfrey. Godfrey. Okay. Perfect. Well, is this? I think it's from Instagram. Yes, this is from Instagram. His question or her question is, how do I go about learning how to fly fish? I'm nervous about learning something new. My advice would be to get involved, either whether that be join your local Trout Unlimited chapter or try to get involved with an Orvis 101 class. I know the Orvis Bellevue store in Bellevue, Washington, they have a, I don't know if it's every Saturday, but most Saturdays they, they put on an Orvis 101 class. It's basically, you can come with absolutely no knowledge of fly fishing or fishing in general, and they'll help you get started. They help you, I think they take you out in the parking lot or to the local park, and they help you cat, learn how to cast. They do a little presentation for you to learn some terminology about fly fishing and help you just get bridge the gap to help you understand a little bit more about the sport and the industry. My other piece of advice to you, even if you're not in Washington or in our area, go, go out with a guide if you have the money. Um, just getting that one-on-one time, one-on-one time or one-on-one time with a guide is super helpful. Um, I, I experienced it myself when I started guiding here. I didn't go to any guide school. I just started fishing. I spent the first six months, I knew the Ellensburg Angler Crew just fishing with them. And it really wasn't any program. I just learned as I went. So going out with a guide even just one day can make a world of difference. And just be honest, I don't know anything. Help me. Yes, and even when Keegan and I go somewhere new, like last year we talked about getting a guide when we went to the Bighorn. Yeah, we did talk about that. And maybe if we if we got a guide, we might have had better fishing because we neither of us had really known a lot about it. And if, if, if you really want to put your time and effort into some place and you want to learn a specific fishery or specific techniques about a fishery, best thing to do is, is just uh, book a trip with a guide for a day kind of pick up on the tips and techniques that they're doing again the orvis 101 is good i don't know i think they might give a discount for like a rod and reel setup or two something like that oh that's what they do that's right they give you yeah. a discount for the rod and reel and then they they recommend you come fish with us which is our class which is it's a what is it 159 per person uh, yes it's just a half day fly fishing trip really is what it is we feed you some lunch and uh, we help you get Use the skills you've learned in the one-on-one class to get actually fishing. Yeah, on the water. On the water. Yeah, and then to if you don't if you don't want to do a one-on-one or you don't want to do a three-on-one book a trip with a guide, joining a local trial unlimited or fishing club, and then also just go to the Orvis Learning Center. That they have a ton of information on knots, on different fly patterns, different techniques. They got quizzes. It's a great place to learn. And then just listening to podcasts like this one, watching YouTube videos. When I'm at home and I'm just washing dishes or doing chores, hanging out, there's always a podcast in the background. I fish a lot and I guide and I, I feel like I have a fairly decent knowledge base, but I know that I can always learn more and I'm always listening to podcasts and I'm picking up on new things and I'm trying like, hey, this works out for me. So always, always, always keep listening, keep learning. Yep, I would agree. Anything else you want to add, Cal? I don't, not really. I just think we're ready for our questions for the co-host. Cool. I see. I think I think it's my turn to go first, right? You're gonna ask, you ask me first this time. I'll ask you first this time. Yep. Okay. All right. So for those people 
out there that do not or that have a fairly good budget and they want to go to the next level beyond the clear water setup what would be your next level fly rod setup my next level would be the recon rod paired with a Oh, for some reason, the name is slipping my mind. I'm, I'm the, going to the website hydros, right now. Hydros? The Hydros, yes. So I would pair a recon rod with a Hydros. Um, oh, wait a minute. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. So I would pair my recon rod with an Orvis Hydros reel. And then I'd also pair that with a Orvis Pro line power taper. This is my personal favorite setup. This is what I'm running a lot of the times for my personal use on top of my clear waters. That recon rod is your next step up. It's a, it's a little bit finer. It's a little, I'd say maybe a little faster action. It takes a little bit more practice and knowledge on when to cast and how to cast and timing. Uh, I really like that super versatile rod. I can bomb a cast almost all the way across the river if I had to. Really accurate. I like the Hydros reel. A little bit larger arbor, so you be, have a little bit more space. So I can pick up line a little bit faster on a larger arbor. It's got a sealed drag, so I won't get water in it. Um, and it's just super strong, looks super nice. And uh, that's what I would run if I wanted to up my clear water reel. And then, again, going back to what I talked about line, I'd want to bump up to that Orvis Pro Power Taper Smooth. Gets me a little bit more power and distance in my cast, and I feel a little more accuracy. So that's what I would bump up to. Yeah, and you have that set up, don't you? Yeah, that's what I'm fishing quite a bit. Okay, cool. So the just to give some price points, you know, my, me and my prices this episode, but the price for the Recon Rod five weight is a four hundred ninety eight dollars, and then you also have the Hydros reel, which retails for two nineteen. And then the pro line we talked about was $129. So you're looking at quite a bit of dough. But the question was next level rod. So that's a yeah. good place to go to. A good rod to have if you're wanting to go next level. Yes. All right, Kyle, you got a question for me? Yeah. So when you're choosing sunglasses, what tint of sunglass Ooh. lens do you want? Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> that's a hard one, man. I rocked a lot of different lenses. Really, I don't pay that much attention to the lens. I like a lens that is more like a natural color. So I have like an amber in my glasses right now, like an orange color. I pay more attention to the frame size, like what's okay. comfortable for me. So I know that's not the answer you're quite looking for, but I would, if I had to say, I'd say amber. Amber, okay. That's what I've rocked for a while, and I really, I really like it. Sounds good. Yeah. Well, that's it then, I think. Unless you have anything to add for this podcast. Uh, just want to give a heads up. Our next episode that we're going to release is going to be interviewing one of our guy, our newest guides, Alex Kuiper. He is a guide on the Yakima, but also he guides the Cedar River on the west side of the mountains near the town of Renton. And so if any of you are interested in learning about the Cedar River, make sure you tune, tune into our next episode. And uh, he'll be t- also talking about his journey of becoming a guide. So anyone out there that is wanting to become a guide eventually or wants to get into guiding, Alex will show some or share some insights on things he wished he knew before he started guiding and some things he learned in the journey of starting to guide. 
Yeah, sounds good. Should be a good podcast, Alex. I want to thank everybody for listening to today's episode of the Elms Gang the podcast. We've listened to before where we are, so make sure to tune into your favorite platform. Listen to us. Leave us a review and a rating on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and make sure to send in your questions to get answered on the next episode. All right. I think that's it. Tune in to the Ellensburg Angler podcast every Monday and Thursday for new episodes. Submit your questions on our social media to get answered on an episode by your hosts, Keegan and Kyle. As always, tight lines, and we will catch you on the next episode.